Hey, uh, sexy human animal. This is Tony Flo Real, and welcome to the Hangry and Horny Podcast. This show is sponsored by dropandfbomb.com. Check out their website for their selections of different macadamia-based nut butters. They have a chocolate sea salt version. It's one of my favorite treats as a dessert. They also have a sea salt version, a coconut version, and also a pecan version. So if you're interested in having a light snack uh, meal on the go that doesn't bog you down, check out their selections of delicious nut butters. They also carry olive oil, MCT oil, and avocado oil if you like to put that in your salad. Or in the case of MCT oil, you can use that for your fat coffee. So go to dropanfbomb.com and use the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, and I'll get you 20% off of your first order, which also includes merchandise such as t-shirts. My activities in the world, well, you can check that out on Instagram at T-O-N-E-F-L-O-R-E-A-L. And you can see what I'm up to. Where in the world is Tony Flow Real? I do a lot of fun activities like Magic Flow Bus in which we take people through a 12 plus hour of flow doing different things from biohacking triggers to even natural triggers such as ice baths and breathing practices, uh, heat, and again, using cool technologies having people in a community of like-minded, eating delicious food, all kinds of cool things, which includes a special guest, which is some type of performer, high performer in the world that shares their experience on how they got to their level of skill and success. So again, check me out on Instagram at T-O-N-E-F-L-O-R-E-A-L. My next guest is actually... A prior guest that I had on episode number 24, this is part two of this interview with Nima Kalilian. So if you haven't listened to the last interview on episode number 24 on Hangry and Horny, check that out first so it can give you a little context of Nima's life, uh, a life of, you know, struggle, despair, and depression. Uh, Basically, he came really close to uh, a life of imprisonment in which he was able to fortunately, you know, get out of. And so this episode is a continuation of that story from, you know, rising out of the ashes as a phoenix. And now he's currently writing his book uh, called The Art of Interpretation. And he's creating a, mu- a community called Come Unify Project. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with Nima Kalilian. Peace, everybody. Nimasaki! 
Tony, Swedish Carl Malone, Flow Real. <laughs> What's the deal? What's the deal, man? How's it going? Really good. How you doing? Man, amazing, dude. Always. Yeah. Yes. I see it in your eyes. Ah, oh, the, the light. <sighs> the, the, the light. The heat. the heat, man. The heat's getting spicy. Mm. Whew. That nasty. <laughs> getting nasty. So, bro, we uh, just had... Part one for those who are listening, tuning in, watching on YouTube. What's up? You gave your journey, your story. It was uh, pretty intense, man. And uh, we're still, we're still not even like halfway through. But we ended up with the, you know, journey towards uh, Poland to yeah. uh, meet Wim Hof. You saw his Vice documentary, mm-hmm. and uh, it was like an opportunity to uh die in the cold you're almost planning your suicide yep that's that's exactly it and um i was with a bunch of people when i was watching it and as soon as it was done i just went and booked the ticket for it immediately by it i mean as soon as that vice documentary was done i just went ahead and booked it paid for the flight um my business was running and doing pretty well but i really wasn't even focused on the money that was coming in because I didn't think I'd be alive to um, spend it later. So I, I didn't mind what I was spending my money on at that time. And, and for those that are just kind of new to this, uh, Wim Hof is the Iceman who set a few Guinness Book of World Record, um, most notably, uh, you know, two hours in ice. Yeah almost two hours just Mm -hmm. about and so he's figured out a way for people to uh become happy healthy and strong Mm -hmm. by exposing themselves to uh the cold so you're basically planning to go to poland to freeze to death yep i was uh as soon as i watched it i said oh man this fucking sucks there is no way i can do this um i don't know what these people are doing but i've lived in california my whole life it's 70 degrees Fahrenheit, which is, I think, around 22-ish Celsius, I was freezing. All my friends were always laughing at me because yeah, uh, I was the, the cold uh, guy. the Persian desert jeans. I got them daytime desert jeans. I didn't <laughs> adapt to that nighttime temperature too yeah. well, no. Yeah. So before we actually get into that, um, we were getting uh, into, in part one of that, that podcast, the last one that we did, uh, you were basically describing your time in jail mm-hmm. and, um, can you go a little more deeper into what that experience was like? Because you had mentioned, um, because of the type of crime that you committed, they rated you as like nine out of the 10, mm-hmm. uh, jokingly the Richter scale, you know, yeah. uh, being in California, but, um, whew. It's hot, guys. Yeah. Feeling the, feeling the heat from the lights. But um, can you go more into details of like what that was like being around um, people that were convicted of murder, uh, sharing a jail cell with them? No doubt. Um, first things first, as soon as you get in there, they have you stripped completely naked and um, stick you in a room with around a dozen people in this room is very very tiny like uh, you're all almost pressed against each other and kind of strip you of that feeling that you have any kind of rights right off the bat just strip you of your humanity basically Mm -hmm. and i got moved around quite a few times that's one of the 
cons, um, no pun intended, of jail, that um, when you're in there, you don't get stationed into a particular cell and you say, this is my cell. When you're in prison, they're going to assign you your cell and that's where you'll be for however many years you are, uh, barring some kind of a drastic change. So um, got moved around a lot, spent time in different size cells, dormitories, and all that. And um, things range from being able to shower every 72 hours and the shower that we went into, they would have the water be boiling hot and then it would transition into warm and then into freezing and then right back to warm to boiling so you could never really adapt to the temperature of it. Um, a lot of psychological stuff, like uh, when it would be something like uh, Father's Day or something, they'd, they'd play like children's story music to kind of get to people and um, make them think of their kids. And um, yeah, that's not to mention that there's, uh, and I'm not saying everyone is good or everyone is bad or any of that kind of stuff, but there are definitely people in there who abuse their power as well. And then you also are in a cell with people who are really going through it. And it's, you know, when you can't move around then you're stuck with some complete strangers. And um, if your mind is in that space of true fear, then uh, it's the ones who are afraid that will do something erratic. So, um, yeah, I had some, had some different cells I was in where people were more lax, had some cells I was in where people were walking on eggshells and you could feel it. It's something that you kind of tune back into when you're in there. Um, you start to know when something's going to happen and the air is just thick and, uh, yeah, it's, it's something something I'd, I hadn't experienced before, or if I had, I can't remember it, um, where you're just, you're, your senses are completely heightened. Even when I got out of jail uh, for the first couple weeks, whenever my mother would be walking into my room, I would be asleep and my eyes would just shoot open. And every time, maybe four or five seconds later, she'd open the door and she'd be like, oh, you're awake already. But um, it wasn't that. It's, it was just some kind of a heightened sense where that comes from. But yeah, being so with... So is that like a form of uh, PTSD? Because you're always like on guard. You're always on edge in case something happens. I, I certainly think that there is a, a level of PTSD involved with that. I don't think that this was that. I think that was just some kind of sense that hadn't been used in a long time being woken up again. But um, that's that's a whole other thing to touch on for quite a while. I, I just associated PTSD with somebody who'd been to war, you know? And there were just things that would trigger me. Like if I smelled a cleaning solvent that smelled like what they used in the jail, it, it would just... Uh, kind of that ammonia smell? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's bleach. Yeah, it's very interesting too because they seem to use that same one in schools and in hospitals as well. Oh, right, which, right. Which uh, why I'm not so sure, but yeah, I've, I've smelled that smell quite a few times. And yeah, there was a while where I was just in complete denial about the PTSD that came from that. And one of the really messed up things about being in jail is you at least have your dreams, you know? So you're in there, but when you go to sleep, 
you're dreaming about being in a field or being with your friends or being with your family. And at some point you cross over to the other side where you're in jail and then you go to sleep and you're dreaming of jail too. And then you just can't get away from it anymore. And I remember when I first got out, um, now I was out, but I was dreaming of jail. And I still remember the last dream I had that had any kind of jail affiliated with it. I was walking in a completely empty street in Los Angeles and I looked to my right and they have the people set up serving our trays of food, the chow line they call it. And it was just integrated into the street. And I was just thinking, what the hell, why is, why is this here? And that was it. That was the last time I had any kind of dream of that. And after that, it was back to dreaming about the outside world. And yeah, when you're around people who are facing heavy time and don't know what's gonna happen, and a lot of these people know that there's a lot of incriminating evidence against them, it's rough, you know? People are going through it. it being in a cell on its own is enough to get to people now having that added stress of the guards messing with you, having that added stress of not knowing what's going to happen to you, that added stress of a new person may come into that cell and completely shift the dynamic of what's going on in there. Um, it, it becomes really hectic for people and it's, I've met some really kind, loving people in there and very supportive people because a lot of people just realize, hey man, we're we're all dealing with this right now and um, we can make this worse on each other or we could make the best out of what it can be. Um, obviously, met those also who were just radiating in a particular kind of energy that um, wasn't beneficial to anyone around them, you know? Were you aware of, of this kind of vibe or energy before you gone to jail? Were you aware of sort of you know, we get like a bad feeling, a hair stand up on your skin and that kind of thing. Or, you know, you just kind of instantly know that this person's pretty benign or like really laid back where this person may like do something to you or there that that feeling exists. And I had felt it before, but not on this magnitude in there. It was I'm telling you, it was hard to swallow even. You'd get up and you can just feel that something was happening and you can feel that that thickness in the air build as it was drawing closer to the time that something was gonna happen as well. And um, yeah, that that was something that I took with me from there and I've used it in my life since then. Um, and yeah, call it intuition or um, whatever you want to call it, it it's a very valuable tool to have in there. What were the forces that you were talking about last time in our uh, prior conversation, um, being in jail, that there were some forces that may have like kept you from danger or... So um, when you're in L.A. County Jail, you basically have to choose a group that you're gonna affiliate with while you're in there. And um, it's either Southsiders, which are um, Mexican gang members. There's Paisas, which are like uh, Mexican immigrants who don't really speak much English, um, others. And then you have 
the whites and the blacks and that's what they call it and i'm going to call it by that name as well and they have rules amongst that um so like blacks and mexicans aren't or blacks and Southsiders aren't supposed to share anything with one another and um when i was in there initially people would say oh who who are you with and i'd say um i'm with nobody i'm an other you know and then i ended up in a cell with two black people and two mexicans and me and we all just really got along and no one could see in ourselves so we were sharing food with each other and really trying to make the best of what we could for one another and then me and one of the mexican guys got transferred to another jail and they had us in a big room with i'd say about 50-ish people of all race and um he said hey you want to play dominoes with me so i started playing with them and then he said you know you run with us now and i said what do you mean he said everybody here has seen you playing with me and this you you have to run with the Southsiders now because if you don't you're going to get fucked up by the Southsiders. you're going to get fucked up by every group that's in here because flip-flopping as they call it is the um, worst thing you can do you know so that's the path I went down from there and going back to the forces like there was a time when we had triple bunks and I was in the middle one and there was a black guy beneath me and there's a I believe he was Filipino guy on the top bunk and he was running with the blacks as well you can choose to do that if you'd want and um, I had ordered some food from the store which is once a week they have a list of stuff you can order food from I had these little summer sausages and um, this black dude was a really cool guy, like really good guy. And he was younger too. Um, and I was young as well at that time. So um, we kind of got along and we just, uh, since it was a dorm of over a hundred people, we just made sure it wasn't anything obvious, you know? And he saw these summer sausages and he said, oh man, I wish I could have some of that. That looks so good. So um, I took... I took it when everybody was around and I put it under his mat for him. And then I just, uh, at some point told him, Hey man, check under your mat. And I just kept walking and it was there. He saw it, he, he grabbed it. He looked back at me and smiled and like, cool man. And so he had a picture cut out from a magazine of a girl and he slid that under my mat as like a gift back, you know? So I put it on the top of my bunk, which would be basically the bottom of the top bunk, you know? And that Filipino guy all of a sudden comes and he says, and this was maybe a day later, he says, where'd you get that picture from? And I said, what is the matter? And he said, I gave that to him. And I know he didn't give it to you because you guys can't do that. You must have stolen it from him. What happened? And he just caused this big scene. So. In the blink of an eye, I was surrounded by all the Southsiders. This black guy was surrounded by all the blacks, and um, it was going down, you know? Like, it, that was just, you cannot do that. And just as, like, I'm completely surrounded, I hear them call my number, because um, everyone has a wristband with their number in there. And they said, roll it up, which means uh, grab all your stuff, you're getting moved. And, yeah, I grabbed my stuff, and I'm like, what? And they just kind of, like, Moses with the Red Seas, they just moved out of the way and I just walk right by and he opened the cell and I just walk out from there. And Wow. Um, I'm like, what? And one of the guys who 
was one of those people who gets really tough when he's got people around them was saying, yeah, I'm going to find you and this and that and blah, 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 which, um, yeah, nothing ended up coming from it. And I really hope, and I've thought about this before too, I really hope things worked out for that black dude. Because when I was walking away, um, I said I stole the picture, hoping that they wouldn't have any repercussion for him, you know? And stealing is like one of the worst things in there too. So um, I was already walking out. I'm like, hey, like, I don't know if this stuff follows me. Someone's gonna, you know, be, it's gonna get passed down the pipeline and reach me. But um, I just didn't want anything to happen to that guy. He was a really good guy, you know? Mm. So um, that was one case of it. I had another case when I was in Supermax where I just had a really tough day and um, I was getting agitated by somebody trying to wake me up and said something that was offensive to uh, a large group of gang-affiliated people. And there was a guy in that dorm that really didn't like me. And um, just from the beginning when I came in there, this one guy in particular really didn't like me. And he said, oh, this guy's not Mexican. This guy's not gang affiliated. He can't say any of this stuff. We need to like take care of this guy properly. He was advocating for um, me being stabbed and going to that kind of level. Wow. The guy who was running our dorm, he just liked me. And he was saying like, no, man, let's see. We'll figure it out. So he ends up, um, the, the dorm right next to us was the high power dorm. That's where the people who called most of the shots were. And, um, he talked to them about it and apparently he got it down to what they call being regulated, which is they'll get three people to jump you for 13 seconds. And um, yeah, it's seen it done to other people and it feels like a lifetime and I'm not even the one in there, it's them. And so that that's what it was. And I didn't even need anyone to tell me, I knew that's what was happening. and. Um, I was really good friends with the guy in there. Um, he went by the name of Scooby and he was hands down the biggest guy in our dorm. He was like a Hulk and just the nicest guy to everybody though. Always laughing, always, um, just good dude. And he wouldn't even look me in the eyes that day. And I knew that I had fucked up really bad, you know? And I said, it is what it is. I did it and I gotta, I gotta take the repercussion for it. And yeah, this guy didn't say anything to me the whole day, wouldn't even look at me. And then when I was getting called over, so this dorm had two stories to it and beneath the stairs is where they would have you go so that they can do that so that the guards wouldn't be able to see it. And uh, they called me over there. And as I got up to walk over there, um, Scooby, who was the nicest guy, always laughing, always smiling just went full on Bruce Banner Hulk mode and like lost it and said, if you guys want to do something to someone, you do it to me. And he just starts pounding his chest like a gorilla and losing it. And everybody's like, holy shit, like this guy has never been anything like this. And um, I, I still don't know how that all worked out because the typical response to that would be that I'd get messed up and he would also get messed up, but they let it go and it just, disappeared and um yeah there was so many cases of stuff like that happening and um yeah it 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 was one of those things where i i just sat back and accepted that something was going on and there was some 
form of protection that this scrawny non-gang affiliated just dude was somehow floating through all this stuff with murders and um high level crime criminals you know and also from that i just realized that this really wasn't what i wanted in my life i realized that i'm responsible for my own actions and i also realized that the people that i surround myself with are going to give me the input that shifts my reality you know it's going to create that feedback loop of what life is for me and this crime happening all this stuff my mind would never go to that kind of place but when my first girlfriend and i um separated she started hanging out with people who were um troublemakers and i felt that i had to win her back and i said oh if a troublemaker is what she wants then i'll i'll be the best troublemaker you know and i started hanging out with those people that she was hanging out with and everybody said oh don't put yourself around these people they're big time trouble and those became my good friends you know and that became my feedback loop and it became oh if somebody says something to you you have to do something about it you can't let that go you this you that you know which ultimately turned me into someone who is very easily manipulated because of my own ego you know if you're gonna sit there and have a knee-jerk reaction to anything anyone says or what people tell you you are you're not um you're you're not really living for yourself at that point you're just you're just a, a reactionary being that gets guided through your life according to what triggers you and that was one of the things that i realized coming out of there um not that i came out of there and felt completely clear-headed um, i'm not sure if we spoke about it on the previous podcast but i i got out of jail when i was 21 and was on probation till i was 25 and was manically depressed and one of the things that i left out and i spoke to you about was i left out the worst day of my life on the first, po first podcast um so once i was kind of shaking off the cobwebs of this situation and accepting I, I was beating myself up constantly that i've shamed my family and they expected this from me and i'm not that and um then my best friend my cousin whose name was also nima we called him little nima and i was big nima growing up loved that dude one of the kindest souls i'd ever been around uh he ended up dying in a motorcycle accident at the age of 20 and i was with a friend of mine at his house and he gets a call and then just drops to his knees and just looks up to the sky and just starts crying and i said what and he said little nima's dead and i said no man he's not dead there's no way and he said he got in a, a motorcycle accident they said he's dead and we drove to where it was and the whole time i was just in complete denial to an extent that i'd convinced my buddy that this was all wrong you know that he probably hurt himself and the person who called him was exaggerating and i got there and just saw his body laying there and tried to run to him and the police just bear hugged me and the guy said i'm not going to let you see this man because I, I told him that's my cousin leave me alone and he said no i'm not going to let you see this man you, you can't see this and um so i just went and sat on the grass in front of someone's house and i was in complete shock and uh, then my mom calls me and she says, hey, um, I heard little Nima got in an accident. Um, and I, I was just completely 
you know, just gone. And I said, yeah. And she said, uh, what hospital is he at? And as soon as she said that, I just lost it. Like, I just said, please don't make me say this. Please don't make me say this. And she said, what? Just tell me what hospital he's at. And I like shrieked out of me. And I just said, he's dead. And she gasped. And I just hung up the phone and just started crying. And uh, then I, I was more depressed then than I had ever been in my life. When that happened, it was just, what's the point of any of this stuff? You know, um, if you're going to go like that, one of the kindest people I've ever been around and and that's how it goes what do I deserve in this life at that point you know and um, that's something I just wanted to add into there because I felt if I was going to share my truth and I should share the darkest moment of my life uh, his funeral all that stuff he had over a thousand people at his funeral wow yeah and he was 20 years old you know so loved so loved and so loving and that's why he got love back from people and um yeah love that dude love that dude and um yeah wanted to make sure that was shared yeah so that was the darkest day of your life and that was the darkest and that transition into when my um father ended up nearly dying and when I met my fian- uh, or my ex-girlfriend there and um, that whole experience, finding out that she was with her, uh, she was still seeing her ex-boyfriend and that's when Wim Hof came along. Um, and you pretty much were just done with living at this point. I was done with living at that point and then uh, one of my buddies also signed up to go to Poland as well when I did. He said like, damn, you just wanna do stuff and you do it and that's awesome and um, I wanna do it too. And in my mind, I'm just thinking like, dude, I wanna, I know what I wanna do there. Like, why do you wanna come to that, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, at that time, he had introduced us to this girl that he saw a few times and um, he said like, she's a really awesome person. I'm not really into her, but, um, and told me and one of my other friends like, yeah, you should talk to her. I think you guys would really like her. And yeah, her and I started speaking and I really did like her and, um, she was awesome and just a great, great person. And her and I kind of started seeing each other and I told her, yeah, I don't, I don't want to have anything serious. And I, I feel as if I was trying to protect myself because I, I'd felt like I wasn't good enough or something like that where I was somehow being cheated on by these people that I've been with. So I felt like I'm not going to put myself out there like that anymore. But um, yeah, we were seeing each other for a few weeks and then um, my buddy found out about it and he got really upset about the whole thing. And we were saying like, even he, though he suggested that you got you to meet. Yeah, absolutely. And um from that, I spoke to her and she said, oh, yeah, I really like you and I want to continue where we're going with this and see what it ends up being. And then um, all of a sudden she disappeared and started dating him again. So it was funny because I was going through these like roller coasters of emotion. And then this girl kind of became like this foundation, this thing that made me like, hey, life is not that bad. And at that point in my life, I was very much looking externally to find that satisfaction in my life. And she had brought it to me. And then when this whole thing happened and she started dating him again, and then when we were going to Poland, um, my buddy and I 
were standing in front of my house and they're kissing each other goodbye and I'm just standing there looking at that and I just said, man, fuck this, you know, fuck all this. Just get me over there and let's let's get this going, you know? So, um, yeah, just to backtrack like a month, I, I was just spending money flavor, frivolously. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, um, That's a great word, frivolous. Yeah, so frivolous. <laughs> and um, so, Money frivolous spender. Yeah, I was, a, I was a frivolous spender for a while. And um, so I saw this thing on Tony Robbins. He had like an Unleash the Power Within seminar coming up, and I went to that. So I was just like, why not? I was kind of amped about getting to Poland, and I was counting the days it was feeling way longer than i wanted it to i wanted the day to come already so i went to that and um there was a lot of really good stuff in there and one of the one of the lines that really triggered me and didn't trigger me in a way where i felt particularly good about it and felt like oh yeah that resonates but if anything it it made me like no this is bullshit um was that he said your beliefs are your reality and it really just got that voice going in my head and I was saying, oh, what the fuck? Like, what do you mean? Reality's reality, not my beliefs. And that stuck with me and it it was something that I pondered on for a while and that's definitely uh, snowballed deeper into my own understandings of life. So, yeah, that's that. And we end up going to Poland from there. Um, we get there. We Our flight was delayed, so we missed the bus to get um, take us from the Czech Republic to Wim's house in Poland. So we had to grab a cab in the middle of the night. And it was like a three-hour drive over there, which was awesome. And then, uh, yeah, we we started the next day, met Wim, a really cool guy, very charismatic, high energy, looks you in your eyes and is really connecting with you. And he had us do some breathing. We would Every day we would start the day with some breathing and then we would share what our experience was. And then each day had a different thing we would do. And Wim's mantra at the time was fuck the program. So whatever it is we had to do, we probably weren't going to do that. We're going to end up doing something else. And um, which is funny because he he's pretty unstructured. Mm -hmm. He means it like like the bullshit programs as well yeah you know, no like doubt. all the belief systems all the paradigms mm -hmm. all the sort of uh condition things that we picked up growing up Wim is when he speaks it's uh, very much like you where there's like double and triple entendres in the in the sentence at times you'll sit there and think about it and you'll be like oh that doesn't just mean that that can mean a lot of things you know and um so the first day that we we went into the cold water that was on day one. We got in for 30 seconds-ish. He said, just get in and when you can relax yourself and breathe normally, get out. And that was the coldest water I'd ever experienced. Like the second my feet even touched it, it felt like they were just like inflaming and just about to explode. Yeah, what was the weather like and what month did you go there? It was December 9th, 2015 is the first day of that. And um, it's almost three years. Yeah, it's almost three years going on it. Feels like a lot longer. I feel like a lot of stuff has happened since then. It's been a yeah. <laughs> really cool journey. But yeah, so we do the 30 seconds and then Guinness World Records 
approaches whim and says yeah poland is going for a world record as a country and they want to have most people in freezing water in as a country for three minutes and you're the ice man so we want you in there obviously and you have these little disciples with you and um yeah would you guys want to do it and whim said i'll only do it if they want to do it and everybody's like yeah let's do it and um so they had us get in first out of all of poland and had us get out last so instead of three minutes it ended up being like six and a half minutes and i had just never done any kind of cold like that and i gotta thank my buddy for that one because he was struggling really hard with it and um my focus on him being okay i think made it easier on me even though it wasn't easy but i told him when we got out i said damn man you should uh should really be proud of yourself because he wanted out within the first 10 seconds and he stuck it out for six and a half minutes and i got to focus on him so i wasn't fully feeling it in that moment right at any point did you have resentment towards him like you obviously you were caring for him in this this uh guinness book world record event that you guys were in mm -hmm. um but you know with the whole thing with that girl before you guys left um that you just kind of let it go at that point yeah i didn't have resentment towards him for it um i knew that he he just cared about her and didn't know how to express it maybe or whatever it was um another thing that was funny too is when they started dating like two days afterwards us three had already signed up for a spartan race to do like a month before and it ended up on my godson's birthday and i promised myself i'd get him that medal so i'm there with this girl that i was just feeling so much while he's like all up on her and we're doing like a fucking obstacle race at that time too so uh it was it was fun quite a triangle along. yeah it was yeah. pretty interesting um but no i didn't hold any resentment towards him obviously it, was it awkward like when you guys are flying out to poland together or, or at any point when you were out in poland i don't think so um i think it would have been more awkward if her and i were together i think he would have not been as okay with it and um yeah there was this one day where he when we were in poland and i had jet lag so i uh was waking up at like four in the morning every morning and he said hey you want to go for a walk i want to talk to you about this whole situation so i said yeah sure and we go for a walk and go next to the waterfall and he tells me yeah i just want to tell you like the only reason she ever saw you is because she felt bad for you and um that's what it was and i'm like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> <Wait me up. laughs> we walked over here for that huh but um when he said that it just really made me have like a lot of empathy for him and said damn like he really must be going through it that he felt the necessity to say something like that to me and at that point i just didn't care anymore you know for me i i was sure once we got to the point where we climbed that mountain it was all going to be over and um yeah i just went for it and met some beautiful people in that group and it just turned into something completely different it turned into just vulnerability and bonding and um you know something i spoke to you about after we recorded the first podcast was that voice in my head said holy shit 
you just put all your stuff out there online it's there it's not going anywhere anymore and um i know that that's that scared voice within me and i just i'm happy to hear that fear come out and happy to know that i'm able to be truly vulnerable with you and with everybody who watches this or listens to it and just uh speak my truth and be okay with that and accept that anybody can think anything they want and they certainly will think what they want you know and that's okay and they have a right to do that and they will and i will and um this is me you're getting you're getting my experience right um, versus like let's say your friend uh that is listening to this may have his own point of view of what happened as well he will have his point of view no doubt you know um everybody has their own interpretation of their life and um going back to tony robbins and your beliefs are your reality everybody has their own beliefs so everybody's living in their own variation of this reality you know and we're coexisting with one another which is fucking magic where you're able to see this world through your lens i'm seeing it through mine but we're sitting together right now with these microphones in our hand and having a shared experience yeah simultaneously absolutely and as a collective on the planet Mm -hmm. um so so you're in poland you are you know meeting these amazing people you're all becoming vulnerable what's what's prompting this uh experience with all each other with this vulnerability um this whim bring something to that like how is that happening um I don't know what triggered the vulnerability in people. I know that my buddy Christian was the first domino that fell for me um, because I shared my experience and um, how my father was ill and how I was just really worried about him and how I shared the Wim Hof method with him and saw some positive effects. And then um, Christian was in the Danish Special Forces, big dude. He ends up... uh, coming up to me after that and he says and this guy has like that look you know that like he'll just break you down with his eyes look and he just he's come, hilarious by the way i uh, love christian fucking love that guy too <laughs> got a man. chance to chat with them I, I don't think i've ever met him in person but uh, i look you, forward to it you got to hear him say what the fuck it's the best he goes what the fuck i know what we've the had fuck? these conversations <laughs> he's hilarious so he came up to me after i shared uh my experience with my dad and he said you know i have two boys and something along the lines of i would be very proud if they ended up being something like you and that was just like you know that that was just such a beautiful thing to say and that that opened me up on another level after that and um yeah so we were going through these experiences with whim standing barefoot in the snow and being in there for 15 minutes and having the snow melt around us and doing all this kind of stuff or i should say ice it was the grass was frozen over there wasn't snow when we did that but then um i believe it was a day after we climbed the mountain we climbed the mountain it was minus 12 degrees celsius at the top and we're wearing shorts and some shoes and um really cool footage of it too where you just see frost everywhere and it, it was uh really powerful so that's mount shneska mount shneska yeah and uh that was that was an amazing experience very empowering and you guys are just in short 
just no t-shirt no no, no jacket Mm-mm. yeah just feeling it and um i believe it was the day after that that we did a one hour breathing session and something happened there something very powerful happened and i didn't know how to explain it um there was 21 of us in the house and Wim's cameraman Peter, who's a good friend of mine as well, snapped me out of it. And uh, I was just crying and I couldn't think. Like that voice was shut off. And he said something to me along the lines of, like, you're the last one here and I didn't want to leave you alone. Something like that. And uh, everyone had walked to this hotel where um, we would have our food. And it was about a mile away. And I just put my shoes on and I just remember I was crying, going, uh, uh, just getting this shoe on and couldn't think and didn't know what was going on. and Just bawling. Just bawling. And um, yeah, someone put their arm, uh, my arm on their shoulder and kind of almost dragged me there. And I could just feel like everything drawing towards me, like the wind just looking at everything, it was like it was coming in my direction. I couldn't even think like, wow, this is beautiful or anything. It was just, uh. And I get to the restaurant and uh, at the bottom of the hotel and I make eye contact with one of the ladies who's in our group and she just starts crying. And then I go up to another person and like, look at them and they start crying. And then I go up to my buddy and look at him and he starts crying and we just hug each other and tell each other we love each other. Oh, actually he told me he loved me. I couldn't even speak still. And then I look over at Wim and Wim's just like locked in on my eyes, looking like he knew something happened. And finally when, what it, like my, my analytical mind starts turning back on. I just looked at Wim and I said, what did you do to me, man? What happened? What was that? And he just wouldn't even answer me. He wouldn't say, you got to figure it out on your own or anything. He just would look at me when I say it and he wouldn't answer. And then, um, yeah, I was just saying, uh, I was just vibrating. There, there was no I. It was just vibration, though. And uh, I don't know what happened. And... Yeah, then the day after or so we end up um we end up leaving and that's when Wim pulled me aside and uh said, Yeah, fuck the cold, just keep doing the breathing and then he told me about the mountain and said there's we went up it one way, there's a million ways to get up it, um, go up other ways as well, you know? And yeah, it was it was something special. I knew something transformative had happened and something died. Like a part of me did die there. It was a part of me that I didn't, that didn't serve me anymore, you know? And all I knew is when I got back, I just wanted to live and that I didn't care if people told me I was wrong and that this isn't the way to live. And another thing to point out is that Wim wore the same clothes for like four days and starting to smell too <laughs> and i was in my mind i'm like what the fuck wim like why is this guy wearing this why hasn't he changed doesn't he care about what we're thinking doesn't he care about what he looks like doesn't he care doesn't he care and then it just hit me no he doesn't like i'm the one who's caring i'm the one who's stressing myself out 
he's just living his life. And that was like a really big thing for me too, you know? That was a leading by example moment. That was the being the change you want to see in the world moment of him just being himself and lessons being learned by me and other people just from observing a person comfortable in their own skin, you know? I thought that was very powerful. Yeah, he was just being a, the manimal that he is, mm -hmm. a Neanderthal. Mm -hmm. um, that's why we love him so much, mm -hmm. you know? He's so charismatic and hilarious mm -hmm. and just, like, really doesn't give a flying fuck, you know? It's like who he is, and he's such a simple man, a minimal man, and uh, all he cares about is just bringing, like, peace, love, and happiness and strength to the planet mm -hmm. and health. So, um, so you have this profound experience, mm -hmm. uh, you, you end up going back to California and then what happens? So before I had left, I, when I was at that initial Tony Robbins, uh, workshop, they were marketing another workshop that they had had called the business mastery workshop. And that thing was like $10,000 for a three-day thing in Florida that you had to get your own hotel and figure out your own food and all this stuff. And like I said, I didn't even think I'd make it there. So spending the 10 grand didn't matter to me. I had hired a friend to work with me who really had no fear of being fired because she was my friend and um, didn't care at all about the business. Like, And it just went from highly productive doing really well to just like hemorrhaging money out and um i signed up for that thing everyone i was with said oh that's a ripoff don't do it he's just got you all amped right now and you're gonna get over there and it's gonna um you just waste ten thousand dollars you know and which uh, does happen but does. in this specific case for you it was worth it mm -hmm. i and i say this like there are there are like you and i have spoken about there are the seminar junkies who go there and get their dopamine off of the energy of that room and the belief that something like they learned some kind of valuable information that yeah yeah there's going to be the answer and mm -hmm. you're going to be wealthy and rich and mm -hmm. and yeah you got to take personal responsibility and you have to do the work yeah um but they do have a way of you know tickling the amygdala and mm -hmm. the reptile mammalian so um for me, I, I was a samurai junkie, you know, mm -hmm. an info junkie. I've been junkies in many forms. Mm -hmm. um, but so that's why I have a sort of skeptical uh, point of view because I, I'm more concerned about uh, people that are vulnerable and susceptible to uh, these types of marketing tactics. Um, but, but in the case for you, it had a lot of value. It had a lot of value for me and the information was there. And if you were willing to implement some of those things, there would be change. And uh, one, of, one of the things that really resonated with me there was said, are you a business owner or are you self-employed? And he said, if you're self-employed, then you're still a slave to your business. You may own it, but it owns you in a sense, you know? And, uh, said a lot of people take value in don't sue me tony robbins for saying this stuff okay don't sue me, man. <laughs> actually hey scott riley we got scott riley here our host he was on our last uh, few podcasts ago can you make sure nema it's heads in the, even in a picture 
Okay, perfect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the podcast, the audio podcast doesn't matter, but people watching YouTube only see like <laughs> your nose down or something. But. Yeah, that's true. So where were you saying though? So um, he he said uh, a lot of people become like micromanaging junkies and feel that the value is in them. And, and I was certainly one of those where I say, oh, if I'm not doing this, it's not going to be done right. And it's not this and it's not that. And he basically uh, said, step out of that ego and recognize that the true value would be in creating a process where anybody can do what you do. Anybody can know what you know. And that became my goal because after Poland, I said, I want to fucking go. I don't know where I want to go, but I want to go somewhere and I don't want to be attached to this thing right now. So I, as soon as I got back, I started putting together the structure to create a process in which anyone can learn this stuff. And um, there's technical support involved and uh, different things that um, I didn't, I initially didn't think would be easy for people to get, but I look for the simplest way to be able to relay that information and that's uh that's what i did hired a couple of people and the business started running itself naturally i'm making less money because i'm not making all the money now but i'm free you know i have my time back and i can go and do as i choose and so um i end up i end up traveling going to one of the first things that um, I wanted to do was go to the Grand Canyon. And I, can we back up? So that business that you have is an internet bis- yeah, based it's an business, online business, online business. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we end up, I end up uh, talking to someone who tells me that there's this hike you can do in the Grand Canyon and there's a lot of insight that can come from it, but you have to do it alone. And I didn't really even ask much more I just wanted to do it and um so i end up going to the grand canyon it's my first time there and it was 114 degrees and um i didn't eat anything i had three bottles of water and i just went and there was no signs for the first 10 miles of it well there were signs at the top of the canyon that said basically don't do what i was about to do because you definitely will die (laughs) and (laughs) you did your own version into the wild Mm -hmm. yeah i went for it and i'm not condoning this for anybody else that was my path and that's what i wanted and um i wanted to surrender myself to the wild and see what would happen and similar to wim hof mm -hmm. like he's had many times where he's like dove into nature and Mm-hmm. dove into the belief that you can't you know and shown himself that he could and uh that was one of the one of the ways that i wanted to go i wanted to go put myself into that place and see what happens and it was about 20 miles i didn't know it initially and the first 11 miles there were no signs and it it was a uh, June fourth, two thousand sixteen. I remember that because there was no moon, so and I didn't bring like a flashlight or anything. I just had my cell phone, so I tucked it into my waist, pointing forward, and it was actually really cool because it was like a pit of darkness, like complete darkness. The stars were beautiful, but there was no moonlight to illuminate the canyons, and. Uh, the whole time I was just waiting to get to the bottom because I knew the Colorado River was down there and 
I was gonna fill up my water bottles there. So hot that you couldn't sweat. It was evaporating off of you before it would form a sweat. And I end up getting to the bottom and there's a sign that says, do not drink this water. It's filled with parasites. <laughs> and I had maybe three sips of water left that was boiling now because the heat it just like boiled that water too. My mouth was just filled with canker sores. I had a backpack with some food in it, um, but I wanted to avoid it if I could. And then it had gotten dark. I didn't know where I was going. And I ran into three different, two couples and a single person um, during that night walk. And every time I had this hope that they were gonna be able to point me in the right direction, but they didn't know. And every time, they were freaked out as well. Like they were just like, where am I? Fortunately, they were all going to a place that I'd seen a sign for, so I pointed them in that direction. The guy who was by himself was a heavy set guy and his whole body, like his left or right side, one side of his body had completely cramped up, like he couldn't even walk and I was trying to help him out and he just was like, no, I got this and all this stuff. So I took out all my food and left it with him and now I just had nothing. And um, yeah, I was standing by the by the Colorado River, and I smelled this really strong scent of like animal urine coming from my right side. And I turned, and the flashlight was tucked in my waist. Oh, not the flash, the flash on my phone. And uh, I turn, and the light hits the bush, and the bush starts shaking. And I fucking lose it. And I'm thinking, holy fuck, like it's going down. Um, this is you know something's happening right now i'm i'm in danger this this animal is this is its home turf and i don't know anything here and he he or she knows all these trails and i have a flashlight on i'm just a sitting duck and is it a coyote is it a mountain lion what is this thing and i just lose it and i start just pacing as fast as i can through this thing just uh, 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 just trying to find any kind of anything a sign something keep hitting these dead ends where i just went so far in and then there's nothing and it turned back around and just coming again and uh yeah i end up doing that for about an hour and a half and after that hour and a half something just hits me um i, I just look around and i said damn the last hour and a half of my life has been absolute hell and nothing has changed. I'm the one who generates the fear. I'm the one who created that reality for myself. I'm just walking. I'm part of this like anything else and I surrender to this. I'm, I am this, you know? And then I just start walking and shortly thereafter I end up turning and there's a deer or moose, there's a deer I think right next to me and it does the deer in headlights look it goes <laughs> and we're like this far from each other but i'm not afraid at all like wow. I'm, I'm just in this um where i like to call the warrior monk mentality where it's like i'm at complete peace but i'll just tear through the mountain if i have to right now you know but there is no aggression it's just perfect stillness and I just uh, I keep walking and then I find the sign that I'm on the right trail and there's, I knew on that trail there was water and I get to the water and I'm thinking to myself, all right, you've seen it on so many different things. Just make sure you don't guzzle this water, like drink it slow, everything. So 
trying to calm myself and take a deep breath and take a sip and as soon as it just touched my mouth i'm like oh fuck that and it just started guzzling this whole thing down and just laying on the floor life is so good right now that i have this and it was a uh, nine miles all uphill to get back out of there wow. and um yeah when i got out of there i knew that i generated my own fear and that it was it was the mind that does that and that some things you know that not to say that fear is a bad thing um it, it keeps us alive and it also gets that voice talking so that you can kind of see where your subconscious is you know and that's why i'm a big advocate for uh facing your fears and getting out of your comfort zone and finding the comfort within the discomfort because uh those are the kind of things where you really get to see what the deep-rooted voice is thinking about you and what you're made of and what it is you know so that kind of became a game in my life that i i play to this day where when i notice something and i notice that that voice is trying to negotiate me out of something and i know that it's something that can serve me um i do it anyway and i think that's a very powerful tool of the wim hof method as well as a lot of people when they're getting into that cold water uh there's a million thoughts going through their head and a million excuses why not to do it and all that. And then when they do it, um, they're kind of reaffirming that that voice doesn't have to make all the choices for them, you know, mm -hmm. that there's something listening to that that can say no to that. And uh, I think that's very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a point of, like you said, that there's a, a reason for fear and it's for protection survival mm. and to also be cautious mm -hmm. um because you're not saying like you know toss fear out has no more use it's just more or less like what are the things that are bringing to a belief system that needs to be faced mm -hmm. right that's causing anxiety depression mm -hmm. um you know, anger, whatever it is, mm -hmm. and to uh, maybe understand yourself, get feedback. So yeah. back to like the art of interpretation, mm -hmm. you know, you're getting faced with some form of resistance mm -hmm. in a form of a feeling or emotion. Mm -hmm. And so um, what I've learned, and as you and I have discussed with, you know, uh, other friends is uh, knowing how to distinguish or uh, create a distinction of when to say you know this is safe to continue or or not safe it's okay to say no mm -hmm. you know but maybe as we're you're naive and we're trying to figure things out and and that's what experience is throughout life and wisdom is you know over time you start to say okay i'm gonna push myself because you know this is my world my reality and I'm going to I'm going to take myself to the extreme which I think you you felt called to do that you know but you're I don't think you're saying that other people need to follow that same pathway nope the my experience is just that it's my experience and everybody has their own experience they get to have um what I'm a big advocate for and what I'm working towards with the art of interpretation or with communify is to give people the awareness of certain say unwritten rules of reality you know and um, if they can gain the awareness of it then they can make a, cho a conscious choice in the matter and from there what they choose to do is 
is completely up to them. And if it's them living the same exact life they're living now, awesome, you know? Um, I just think if I was on a ship, I would rather have sails to be able to navigate myself than to be at the mercy of the current, you know? So I think that awareness can give you the sails to be able to uh, manipulate your direction some more. And when when you don't know, what are you gonna do, you know? It's just, you're, it all comes down to chance and it all comes down to what kind of subconscious programming you've had and where that's gonna lead you. And I think that's a very important thing to consider as well is that when when you read a lot of these books about consciousness and mindfulness, um, they're talking about becoming very mindful of what you're doing and how you're doing it. And I completely agree. But I think if you want that lasting change, you want that consciousness and that mindfulness, that awareness to be able to make a conscious choice. But you want to use that conscious choice to reprogram your subconscious because your subconscious is really the thing that's running the show, you know, that 95% of what we're doing is subconsciously done. So if you realize, hey, this thing that I do subconsciously doesn't serve me in this moment of my life, and how do you know if something doesn't serve you? You determine that. You determine that for yourself, you know. If, if you think it does, someone can come and tell you this doesn't serve you, and this is how you should be living and shouldn't be living. And if you want to if you want to live in accordance to the guidelines that other people create for you, that's completely fine as well. But um, listen to your heart sometimes and and give yourself that power because we're very powerful beings. And with that, with that reprogramming of the subconscious, you'll see lasting change. So say um, I'm, I'm always eating junk food, right? If I'm not aware of it, I'm gonna continue doing it and that's what it's gonna be. Now, if I become aware of it, um, I can make the choice every time I go to get junk food to decide to either you know, negatively enforce myself. So I attach that kind of a feeling to it. I can make sure to stop myself and start eating um, more whole foods or whatever you wanna uh, substitute it with. And repetition is one of the easiest ways to reprogram your subconscious, you know? So um, after you do that for a certain amount of time, junk food's just not gonna be not going to be the first thought that comes to mind, you know. Scott is a perfect example of that, you know. Um, he he rewired himself, and um, even when I see him eat what he wouldn't consider to be the best meal that he's having, it's still way healthier than most people, you know. So, um, yeah, consciousness, mindfulness, great tools. I think uh, if you want a lasting change, it's very powerful to use that mindfulness to begin um, reprogramming that subconscious. Yeah. So subconscious or those that are listening, like how would you uh, describe it? Or I would say uh, subconscious and conscious fall into a, a category of things that can manipulate you. And by manipulate, I don't mean it has to be something that is manipulate doesn't have to be a bad thing you know um there may yeah, be like you're manipulating clay per yeah se. sure there may be a slight buzzing sound from the pipes that you and i don't hear and it's creating some kind of tension and in, in my back and i'm like kind of like tensing from it because i don't like it and i'm not even aware that that's happening but it's manipulating my physiology in that moment right so that would be something more subconscious um 
So this is like back to like input output. So there's totally. some things that our bodies are doing right now that we don't even are aware of it. Yeah. But underlying there could be like let's say Wi-Fi signals and satellite and solar flares and mm-hmm. you know um, uh, underlying noises that mm-hmm. we're just tuned out right now. Yeah. Or think about like uh, when you watch a scary movie and like the scene starts building and it's just violin just and it's coming up like that if you replace that with like i don't know some children's tune playing in that moment you're not gonna get that same tension you know they're building that tension they're increasing that frequency of the music to, mm-hmm. to get you tensed up you know and right um you're subconsciously preparing for something you know so um i'd say that awareness is required for something to be conscious um if if you're not aware and it's happening and it's manipulating you in one way or the other then it's a subconscious right so let's say we're um, watching an advertisement you know Mm -hmm. and so they figured out all these different triggers Mm -hmm. to get your brain to be stimulated in a way that you're not even aware of you just see images but you know the way that they flash these images like like one image like every half second Mm -hmm. actually like entrains your visual system to pay attention Mm -hmm. versus if they kept like one scene going the same scene like just like what we're doing right now where it's just the same yeah you tune it out right Mm -hmm. so um there's got to be other ways to like grab that attention and if you're not aware of it you're subjected to it including their messages that they're putting out so this is what was studied through um like the nazis per per se they understood like marketing and uh propaganda and that's how uh you know big movements occur Mm -hmm. you know people start to sort of follow that that herd mentality mm-hmm. and uh yeah edward bernays is a very good example of someone for people to look into he was a sigmund freud's nephew and he was a marketing specialist and before freud had ever published a book he'd already written it and bernays lived in i believe new york at the time and he sent a box of cuban cigars to his uncle in austria and in return, his uncle sent him his book. So he learned about the psychology of man and uh, implemented it with marketing. So instead of what they used to do, where they'd say, hey, this vacuum cleaner, it has an extra long cord. It has four adaptable parts that you could put on the front. The bag is twice the size of a normal bag. And they would tell you what this can do for you and what it has to offer. He he incorporated uh, that, um, f- that mentality or yeah that that understanding of the human mentality that freud um had had jotted down and instead of trying to tell you what this could do for you he began trying to tell you and not trying he was doing it he was telling people what they will be if they have this product so instead of um a logical understanding of why someone should buy this it became an emotional understanding of why somebody should buy this or have this you know and uh yeah they there's quite a few studies on it and um there's a book called oversubscribed where um they say people don't buy what they need they buy what they want and um 
Yeah, that's all just going back to bring it back to where we start to the subconscious yeah. programming right. to the emotional. And the same similar uh, methods and techniques used at like self-help seminars to mm-hmm. get people to believe that they get this product or this particular program that mm-hmm. they're going to have, you know, the dreams of their life, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, which is a beautiful thing. It's like to, to go for your dreams is awesome. Um, I think what I love about what you're sharing is that you're sharing like, hey, these are the things that are going on like physiologically and psychologically. Mm -hmm. And now you're empowered through your own self versus something external Mm -hmm. to like inspire and motivate you, which they have their place. I mean, we listen to music. It changes our state. We hang out with people, Mm -hmm. but sometimes we don't have access to these things and it has to be like generated from within. And that's where, you know, in my own experience where the subconscious, uh, I'm able to change my old patterns Mm -hmm. and habits and, um be a different person per se i'm actually moving towards the things that i want to do and not relying on sort of external factors to to drive me Mm -hmm. and one of the very powerful things about what you do and what i do in regards to traveling and connecting with different people is you'll have people who talk about say psychedelic experiences and how that could stimulate uh, neuroplasticity and uh, for those who don't know what that is um, we used to believe that we we thought in certain patterns and that's what would be ingrained and that there would be um, these receptors that were hard fixed to each other and now they're saying that they're not hard fixed but the more that you reinforce a certain loop of thinking the more attracted um, those those receptors will become to one another and the more you'll think that. So people start saying, oh, with psychedelic experiences, uh, you can rewire that. And um, they give other examples, but one of the biggest, simplest ways and just fruitful ways to uh, stimulate neuroplasticity is to one, keep an open mind and two, Go speak with different people, meet new people, hear someone else's interpretation, hear how they got from A to B. And now you're seeing a completely different line of thinking and that's entered your field of awareness now. And you can throw it in the trash if you want or you can use it in the future, but you're not just reinforcing that same thought pattern that you've been going through over and over by just locking it. And sometimes you want that, you know, like I'm working on my book. I love having you and Scott around, you know, I love having Casper around. I love having people that are supportive of me around in this moment because I I want that reinforced feedback loop. It's, it's something that drives me, you know, and it's something that, um, it's like a support system, you know, but shit, how many times in my life, was I unconsciously just keeping myself in a situation for so long that wasn't serving me, that had me feeling so shitty. And uh, I, I just figured that that's what the world is. No, we, we get to choose, you know? It, once you recognize it, once the awareness is there and you have the ability to choose, you can start directing your life. And I think that that's a very important thing for people to get. Um, that that we can make this choice and that 
those who are programmed to believe that life isn't that may constantly try to reinforce that belief in your mind that you can't do that, that that's not how it works and believe me i had people say that to me throughout um the last three years i've been called crazy uh more times than i ever had in my life and um those same people pat me on the back now and they're like holy shit man you're living it you know and even if they weren't this is my game i get to play it everyone who's listening or watching this is your game and you get to play it um let me know if I'm rambling on, but um, think of something like... You're si- fucking crazy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's, yeah. let's take a look at like a success and failure, for instance. Mm-hmm. You're either going to accept what society tells you success and failure is. And depending on where you live... It might be having a bunch of kids. It might be having a 401k with a fast car and a big house and um, yeah, a fat bank account. You, you may latch on to what society says success and failure is for you. And then at that point, you have a line at the top with these check boxes that if I do this and I do this and I do this, I'm successful. So now I'm allowed to feel this kind of way. I'm allowed to feel joy. I'm allowed to feel pride. I'm allowed to feel satisfaction, content. And then they tell you what failure is. And, oh, you don't have much money. Oh, you don't have a large group of friends. You go talk to that guy or you go talk to that girl and he or she isn't receptive to you. Um, Then here's this line down here with these check boxes. And once you've checked those off, now you need to feel regret. You need to feel suffering. You need to feel misery. Um, so either you're going to go that way and you're going to latch on to what they tell you success and failure is, or you're going to create success and failure in your own mind. You're going to say, oh, no, that's not success for me. Success for me is writing the art of interpretation. Success for me is creating communify. That's success for me. And failure for me is not doing those things. I still have to recognize that I've created an arbitrary line myself now, and I've put these arbitrary checkboxes there. And if I check off, boom, art of interpretation written, communify, open and running. Now I get to feel joy. Now I get to feel happiness and satisfaction and content. Oh, I didn't do those things. I told myself this was going to be done by December 31st, 2018. But because I set that date as the date and it didn't happen, now I have to feel like a piece of shit. I don't deserve happiness. These check boxes are off now. So now I have to feel suffering and I have to feel regret and I have to feel misery. Can we recognize that this is all in our mind? We're allowing ourselves subconsciously or consciously, if you get to that, we are allowing ourselves to feel these things. So why am I not going to feel joy i've felt suffering i've felt suffering on a deep deep level multiple times in my life and i'm sure it's not the last time i'll feel it too um but i fucking love feeling happy and it's there all the emotions are running through us all the time and then you tune your antenna to one at each particular time and that's what you feel you know i'm fucking loving life right now i'm loving sitting next to you i'm loving sitting here with scott and Looking at him scratch his chin right now. (laughs) (laughs) 
Life is beautiful. Uh, we get to have this experience, whatever it is. What is a feeling? What is misery or joy? It's, it's a frequency, you know? It's an, that's an emotion. It's something we get to feel as part of this human experience. We can label it as bad or we can label it as good. A lot of people may agree that suffering is bad. Some people thrive on it, like uh, Goggins, you know? He throws himself into into the hellfire, you know? David Goggins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he goes, you know, and he loves it. And that frequency is something he taps into and thrives in, you know? I throw myself into that frequency at times as well, you know? We, we have a right to choose what frequency we want to feel. And if we can gain the awareness of what's happening, then we can make the choice of uh, which way we want to go with these things and start going up and down the ladder or left and right of the ladder of this human experience, you know? Mm. Um, as you know, I flew back to LA to see someone that I cared about very much. And I went to be there for her birthday and she completely ghosted me. And I went, I lived in my car for a month and a half while I was out there. I listened to 17 audiobooks while I was out there. I read two books, um, started working out on another level, putting myself into nature, spending time with the people that I love in, in that area, knowing that it may be quite a while before I'm back there. The old me would have just been miserable. The new me felt that sadness and felt extreme gratitude for that sadness. I I told you guys, I sat at the beach and just thought to myself, thank you to that person for me being able to feel such a high level of joy and such a low level of despair because I hadn't felt it on that particular frequency before and it just added to my experience, you know? It's all a game and we get to play it or it gets to play us and with the awareness and the action, um, you can make a massive shift in your life. Boom. Boom. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, just knowing you these, uh, I don't know, man, it's been like a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've gone through a lot together ourselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, can you go into why you became a vegan? Um, yeah. I I was made fun of anybody who was about that. I had this uh, perception of like, oh, these people are just um, easily triggered human beings who are hypersensitive and all this stuff. And I said, I like I used to eat meat with every single meal, not just animal products, but meat. Like I felt like a meal was incomplete um, if it didn't have meat with it. And I always felt like I know what happens to these animals. I already know. Um, I choose to eat meat. And then I started playing this game with myself where I would look at certain things that I was conditioned to do without really thinking about it. And I would pull it out of my life for a month and then reintroduce it and decide what I wanted to do at that point. And when I was in Thailand, I don't know why it just resonated all of a sudden that, hey, we, we mass breed these things and give them this shitty life just so that we can eat them. 
I'm from Los Angeles, you know, people lose their shit if the window is, even if a dog's in the car and the window's cracked, people start breaking the fucking window of the car, right? So the puppy's not too hot. But we're completely cool with these things just being shackled up and living in their own shit and all that. And I said, you know what? Um, I need to go a month. I need to go a month and see where this goes. And it was really hard for me. Um, during that time, maybe four or five days into it, I ended up seeing a documentary on YouTube called Lucent. And that was a really powerful documentary for me because most of these like uh, vegan documentaries are showing you the slaughtering and all this stuff. And that's what I was ready for. But this one took a very different approach that really resonated with me. It first, for the first five or 10 minutes is showing you uh, these pigs that are living in an animal sanctuary and it's showing you how like they grab straw and they make nests and they sleep on nests because they don't want to be dirty. And I'm like, what? I was always taught that these things are the most filthy, vile things on the planet, you know? Um, they never shit near where they eat or sleep. They always keep it away. And the main thing was their eyes. Like they just had this look of joy and satisfaction and just like, like a puppy, you know? And then it just boom, switches over and shows you them in these factory farms and you just look in their eyes and you just see like either terror or just a completely broken being that was just done you know and it goes through the entire process of from the moment they're born to everything in between you know the feeding process to insemination and the next group that comes out and all this and in my mind I was just prepared like this is going to be so bad when they kill these things and I went holy fuck this is this is a miserable life you know this is a miserable miserable life that these things are living then you see like chickens and you see damn they're just killing these male chicks within hours of them being born like this is a living sentient thing that we're just tossing into a blender because people want to eat chicken, you know? And I've had people that have told me like, oh, you're a pussy because you, you're not eating that stuff. And I told them, try breaking 30 years of programming. See if that's a pussy move, you know? See if you could do that. It, it wasn't easy for me. Um, but when I saw that stuff, I felt compelled to act, you know? And here's here's one thing I'd really like to point out for anybody who's also eating plant-based and against that stuff and they're hearing this and they're like yeah fuck yes preach on everybody has a right to live how they choose to live um i drink coke and i know coke is one of the shittiest companies out there you know they're stripping the earth of our water um your smartphone that you're listening to this podcast on or watching it on or whatnot go look at where where these things are made what the conditions are how people are being paid the clothes that we're wearing everything everything there is shitty corruption and exploitation going on in everything you know yeah we're all hypocrites in some form yeah so i made that choice i i did it because i felt right with it i did it because i love animals i really do i always have and i did it because i know i don't need it i know i don't need anything I know that um, through my experiences, 
through another experience that I had of connecting to that place that I did in Poland, um, I came out of it and didn't eat or drink anything for over two days because I just wanted to see what would happen. And um, yeah, I'll keep pushing my boundaries. I'll keep doing my thing. I'm positive that everyone's not going to agree with everything that I do, and that's completely cool. I don't expect you to. I'm not living for you. And I don't expect you to live for me. I expect you to live for you. And even if you don't meet my expectations, that's completely okay too. But I do know that every one of us has this immense untapped potential and beauty within us that uh, we can wake up. Wim helped me wake it up in myself and then it snowballed and I'm doing what I do now. Um, The art of interpretation, communify, these are catalysts to try to help in another way for other people to regain their own power. And this isn't for me to say that I did that for anybody. This is because I just want to see that next person and see what they got, you know, through their experiences and through their interpretation of life and through the things that they're really good at. What are you going to shift and how are you going to shift it? You know, maybe I go speak to a certain person who I say all the right things that would click for them, but They don't like my face and it's not going to work out and they're not going to have that shift. But maybe they'll love your face and you'll say the same things and it'll be a shift for that person. And the dominoes keep falling and the ripple keeps spreading, you know. Um, That's that's why I'm doing this stuff. At the end of the day, I'll I'll hit the dirt at some point and take the long nap. And if that was today, I'm extremely grateful for the life that I've had. Um, What. What I'm doing, I'm just doing because I want to see the ripple. I want to see what's going to happen next, and I want to enjoy this game while I'm here. So as serious as some of the things are that I may be saying, um, yeah, Casper is the master of throwing in a dick joke at a perfect time when we're having these serious <laughs> conversations just to remind me to laugh, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and we're here to enjoy this thing. Casper van der Moulin. Casper van der Mulen. 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 <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, so, you know, I really appreciate uh, you sharing your, your story, uh, mm-hmm. your journey, your process, um, you know, sort of your own uh ways of being that you're now you know living um where what do you want to see the world as uh what do you see in the future in your own vision um i see a world where we don't accept our reality according to what we're told a world where we put ourselves out there and we experience it for ourselves, a world where we collaborate with one another. And if somebody tells you that um, someone of Greek descent is an asshole like yourself, I get to spend time with you and see that that's not the case with you at least, you know? Um, I have a good friend of mine who said that we've reached the point we have due to competition. And I believe competition is uh, a part of what's led to the evolution of technology and man as a whole but i believe the overwhelming um the overwhelming percentage of our evolution has come through collaboration so i'd love to see people 
step into their own shoes. I'd love to see people nurture their own emotional intelligence and not just their intellectual intelligence and to offer that to the children as well. These these kids out there have way less layers put on them through living life and being told what it is and what it's not. There's a lot less to have to dig down through to get to the root of what we are. Um, and that's one of the things that we, we put a big focus on with Communify as well as making sure that um, the children are taken care of. And you totally know where I'm coming from. We could sit with some kids and just have the best time and just like that little girl when we were at the restaurant oh, yesterday, yeah. just locking eyes with us and, oh, you know, yeah. just connecting in that moment. A little baby. Yeah, a little yeah. baby girl. Baby girl, yep. Yeah, I see the sparkle on her eyes and, mm -hmm. you know, the the thing about uh, protection of the youth, you know, because they're very uh, impressionable. Uh, they got that neuroplasticity mm -hmm. at full brunt and they also are uh, very naive, right? So um, I want to be able, like you, to to give them the ability to have a critical mind as well as an open mind because, you know, the information, including the stuff that we're saying, I want them to question us, Everything. you know, and, like, that's who I have respect for, people that who are humble enough to say, like, hey, I, this worked for me, this is my experience, this is my perception, my interpretation, and this is what enabled me to reach this level of where I'm at in the game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let me just share you my experience. Let me share you these stories. And then you can take that and do what you will. You know, you can, like, you can question me. We can have debates about stuff. We can have discussions. Um, I want kids to be able to have that, like, forum where they can discuss things, look at multiple uh facets of ways of seeing the same thing mm -hmm. and also to choose on their own like i want to do that or i don't want to do that that resonates with me it doesn't whereas you know where we were growing up we kind of had to like you know the whole thing about respect i believe in respect but also i think that adults should respect young children as well mm -hmm. you know i mean i almost feel and we're not we haven't even tapped into the whole esoteric side of things mm -hmm. which you know we can argue that these babies and children are much closer to the source than we are you know i mean we're on we're knocking at death's door at any point but being born we're further away from being born into this world than those kids are so you know, they see things in a very fresh way. They have that sparkle, that twinkle in the eye that wasn't sort of shut down through, you know, living a hard life, you know. And so um, you've had a very unique experience of being incarcerated yourself. So I think that's where you have that compassion for animals that are living that way. Like, here's an animal has a right to live on the planet and you're putting them in a, a fucking box where they can't even move, mm -hmm. you know, just basically the, just the size of their bodies. Mm -hmm. And so they never get to experience the beauty of the sun and the wind and, mm -hmm. you know, eat like fresh food and grass and maybe play with their fellow like other animals, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, but back to what we we're saying, I think that, you know, um, the kids the children and all of us, you know, we, we're not, you know, chronologically kids anymore, but 
I think, you know, the joke is like most adults are just, you know, grown up babies, Mm -hmm. right? They're, Mm -hmm. they're physically adults, but inside they're still immature. And so this is a chance through this outlet and this medium of hangry and horny and, you know, communify, come unify and like art of interpretation is to enable us to say there's more we can like grow up we can mature but still maintain that childlike twinkle yeah there was a time where i was meditating in a dark room and i remember thinking to myself damn almost every child was broken at some point and that child's spirit was broken and then kind of bummed me out for a second and then it hit me okay almost every child that's happened to there's some that maintained it but within every adult that child still exists and is just waiting to be woken back up you know and that was super inspiring for me and um, back to the kids I'm not looking to remove all trauma from a child's life or to take away from their experience but to give them the tools to be able to navigate their emotion through it, to recognize the power of their interpretation of every experience. You know, somebody gets punched in the face and hits the ground, gets back up and thinks to themselves, oh man, I'm such a weak person because I just let that happen to me and their life's going to go in one direction. Other person, same exact thing happens to them and they get up and say, damn, I can take a hit like that and get right back up. I'm a beast. And the same experience leads to a completely different interpretation, a different energy attached to the experience, a meaning attached to that experience and catapults them in a completely different direction, you know? And uh, when you were saying we're closer to death's door, you corrected that and said we're further from being born. I didn't expect, like, you know, there's some people in your life that you're like, they might not be there when I get older. I didn't expect my cousin to die. Um, I didn't see that coming. We have this belief that we're gonna live to be 90, 100, 80, whatever the number is that you've put in your head. You don't know that. You absolutely have no clue how long you're gonna live. For all you know, you've lived 99% of your full lifespan while you're listening or watching this right now. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna sit here and keep keep these same cycles going through your life. And if you are, that's completely cool. And that's what you're doing. But if you want to live in that illusion that you're going to make it to a hundred then go for it. But, um, not many people do. And a lot of people spend a lot of their life manipulating what they're doing to just make it to that hundred instead of living to that 65, you know? Yeah, manipulating to live a life of comfort, mm-hmm. uh, constant, you know, mm-hmm. whereas uh, what we're doing is very uncomfortable, but very, like, rewarding, and yeah. um, get this reward of feeling alive and mm-hmm. feeling a community of other people that are having fun, playful, and feeling, uh, you know, uh, more hangry and horny, you know, and mm-hmm. so I just think that we had that opportunity, you know, um, and, and like you said earlier, like, uh, I'm not advocating to stop like teasing and bullying and, you know, because I, I believe in like competition in some form or another, you know, mm-hmm. it's just uh, how you apply it. How, how does it, um, be, uh, constructive, 
um, and, and in the destructive parts of my life, I would not change a single thing. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I wouldn't wish, uh, you know, like you and I have had our own uh, issues you know, a few months ago or a year ago, whatever. And uh, But we managed to communicate. And that's the thing with like all things in life is that you have the opportunity to uh, for countries to communicate that we're warring or or neighbors or gangs to finally like you know like in northern ireland like they finally put the bombs and guns down and like live that are living in peace right now so mm-hmm. you know that's possibility that we have in the world and uh, nima i just really thank you for you know all your stories and experiences you've shared and sort of the insights that you had and you know and encouraging people to to really not waste their life you know because yours was almost taken away from you being in a, a jail for forever until the end of life and and um and then of course all the sort of roller coaster rides and uh just hard sufferings and you know things that just didn't go your way you still managed to um find a way to continue to to play the game and and to do it with uh, a lot of like joy and and passion and fun and and uh compa- compassion and empathy so thank you again brother for coming on to the show thanks for having me and thanks for doing what you're doing man i know um from what i'm working on from what scott's working on everyone who wants to create something we have to fight that inner dragon you know and that that dragon of doubt and can i really do this and will people listen and when i do this and it's beautiful that both of you put yourself out there like that i'm just happy to know you guys thanks man and and, uh any final words that you want to share before we end the the podcast final words that i would want to share um yeah, I'm going to go back to what you were saying. Communication is massive, you know. If if you can learn to speak up for yourself and communicate honestly, then you can get it a little bit closer to someone understanding your interpretation and you can get on the same page with each other. Otherwise, if we're not going to communicate properly, we're never going to know what the other person's thinking. We're constantly going to have media sources telling us what other people are thinking of us and what we're thinking of them and and create that narrative for us. Let's step out of this box and come give each other a hug, look each other in the eyes and realize we all are unique, but we all have so much in common too. Boom. Boom. Shakalaka. Thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of Hangry and Horny with Nima Kalilian. A big shout out to Nima for sharing his vulnerability, his story of transformation If you guys are interested in learning more or following Nima, check him out on his Facebook page at Nim, N-I-M, Hasselhoff, that's H-A-S-S-E-L-H-O-F-F, to find out the latest and greatest where he is in the world, including updates on his current book project, The Art of Interpretation, and also his community in which he is building called the Come Unified Project. Big shout out to my sponsors, dropanfbomb.com. They make delicious macadamia-based nut butters. Check out their website for all the different varieties. 
They also have oils such as olive oil, avocado oil, and MCT oil. If you use the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, that'll get you 20% off of your first order. Thank you so much, everybody, for your support, for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of Hangry and Horny. Mwah!